Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Why do we come to church each and every Sunday? Now, you know, there's lots of places we go, and there's always a reason for it. But I know that we just didn't start thinking like, well, we got nothing to do today, so we're just going to show up in church. Like if somebody came up and asked you, like specifically said, you know what, I don't go to a church, and I don't know what it means to have a relationship with Christ, but can you tell me why do you go to church? What would you say? Glorify God. Glorify God. There is a lot that when we think about why we go to church, what is the purpose, right? What is the purpose of why we go? If you think about the different places that we go, right, if you go to a restaurant, like yesterday I got the opportunity to go to Olive Garden with, uh, with my family because we were celebrating my, daughter, my soon-to-be daughter-in-law's graduation from college, and she wanted to go to Olive Garden. So we went to a restaurant, and there was a purpose. Why did we go to that restaurant? Well, to eat delicious salad and breadsticks. That's why we went. Like, that was the purpose why we went. So if you think about also, like, if you go to a movie theater, why do you go to a movie theater? You're not just like, you know what, I'm just going to stop in here for no reason whatsoever. No, you go with a purpose and a reason, and that is what? To see a movie, and that is why you go. If you go to the grocery, you're going to the grocery with a purpose, and that is to buy food. So I wanted you to think about that in the same way. Why do you come to church? There must be a purpose and a reason that you could explain to somebody if they were to ask you. Um, now, when we think about the different things, it could be that you think about what to worship, uh, to worship our God, to glorify God, uh, to learn, right, to have fellowship with each other. All of these are fantastic reasons uh, that we come to church but there is a mission. In this week that in our text that we are looking at, Paul is talking about a mission that we are given. Now, when you think about a mission given to us, what do you think about? Like the first thing I always think about is what? Mission Impossible. Like I love the Mission Impossible movies even going back. And I don't know what it's so, so cool about getting a mission. You know, it's like you, you get this mission and then like you have to choose to accept. And if you choose to accept, what? Then the message self-destructs. Like what is that mission? Like what is our mission? And honestly, I would say that I'm not very good at missions. Like, if you think about this, if you are a husband here, maybe you can relate. This is a, a good example. So I'll be in the kitchen with my wife, and she'll say to me, she'll, she'll say, Brian, I need you to go down the laundry room. In the white cabinet on the second shelf, there's a container. I need you to go in that container and then pull out this thing that I need because I'm cooking and I need it right now. And I'll say, great. And in my mind, I'm like, I got a mission. So then I go down, downstairs, and I get downstairs, and I'm like, okay, white cabinet, all right, white cabinet. I found the white cabinet. Now, what was after that? Because I cannot remember. Like second shelf, I think it was on a shelf. And then, so then I have to go back and I'm like, okay. So I go back upstairs and I'm like, okay, I got, can you tell me that whole thing again? So then I have to go through the, and each step I have to get because I have to follow that mission. Now in that, what I'm afraid that we do is that you and me are like that when we come to church. Like we have an overall idea what our mission is, but then once we get, we're like, what? We really don't know. So today we're going to focus in on why we meet together and what that looks like, specifically how Paul instructs Timothy in that today. So today Paul is addressing Timothy with a mission and a message is kind of the way this text splits out. 
The mission revolves around the central message and the foundation of our beliefs. Um, we need to understand the message uh, in order to carry out the mission. Now, I used to help my, my stepfather work on cars, and this kind of shows you a little bit more into my brain. So when I was in high school, he would wake me up on Saturday morning and say, Brian, come on, it's time to, I need you to help me to work on the car. And I was thrilled on Saturday morning to get up early to go work on a car. So I would go down, and we'd be working on the car, and he loved to collect old cars. And then he would say, Brian, I need you to go to the auto parts store and get this piece. So, once again, I would say, okay, I'm going to go to the auto parts store. So I would drive my car down to the auto parts store, and he would tell me the thing, and I would get there. And there would be like a hundred different choices of like the thing that he said. And I would sit there, and I'd be like, I have no idea. So, and remember, this was before cell phones, so I couldn't be like, hey, so what was it? So I would say, mm, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, that one. And I'd take it, and then I would go home. And then guess what? It would be the wrong thing. So then I'd have to go back again. Many failed missions to the auto parts store because what? I didn't understand the message. I didn't know what it was that I was supposed to get. I wasn't clear on that. So if we have a mission as a church, we must understand the message. We must understand the message. So let's just review just a little bit. Uh, so today we are finishing up chapter three in the book of uh, 1 Timothy. Um, it's a letter written by Paul to his younger friend. We also call him his spiritual son, right? We see that he cares deeply for him, and we know that they are very close. Uh, even in the text today, he says, I hope to come to you soon. We see how he just cares about him and wants to be with him. Now, we always need to remember Paul is helping Timothy to what? Get the church healthy again when we look at this text. Um, and it is a huge responsibility. The culture, false doctrine, um, have bled into the church, have invaded the church that Paul helped establish. And he's like writing this letter to say, listen, Timothy, we got to get everything back on track the way it's supposed to be. And it has become, and I said this weeks ago, it has become a circus. He wanted the, the church service, which had turned into a circus, to be a service again. So Paul addresses orderly worship in 1 Corinthians to give you an idea of what his thoughts are here. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, but all things should be done decently and in order, right? This idea of this circus was going on, and, and Paul was like, no, listen, all, everything needs to be done decently and in order. And as we've gone through the first three chapters here, that is really kind of what he has laid out uh, for uh, Timothy to carry out. God has placed a structure in place for his church in the corporate gathering. So through this letter, we have seen instruction from Paul to Timothy to what? First of all, to guard the doctrine, right, against false teachers. You must guard the doctrine. It's extremely important uh, to keep order in the gathering, right? These, all these things, this idea of a circus was going on, and people were speaking out, and there was disorder in what was going on. Talked about the roles and who should do what. Women and men were not following God's design in this church. Paul gave specific instruction to what? To men who should be leading in prayer and teaching in the corporate gathering. And the women who are causing distractions should not have had spiritual authority over men. This was the structure that he had put in place. This is God's design for the worship gathering. And Paul wanted to get that order. So as we had started in chapter 3 then, we see Timothy laid out the qualifications for elders and deacons. These are the, the leaders in the church. Remember, um, this was to regain order. That's why he is telling him the qualifications and who should be doing this. Um, 
Though he was addressing a specific problem in this church in Ephesus, we can see how we can learn from that and how we can apply it in our corporate gathering and how we, and how we teach and how we meet together. Um, and then we come to the close of this chapter, and that's where we are. These three verses that we're coming to, uh, it is a summary of everything that's before it, and then it's a transition. Uh, but even more, I read this week that it is the, the climax of the book and the purpose of why Timothy or why Paul is writing to Timothy, and uh, in the entire in the entire letter, it is everything is stated in these three verses. The purpose of why he is writing, um, it is the high doctrinal point of the epistle. I read that this week. So if you just think about that for a minute, it's the high doctrinal point. Everything is encapsulated in these three verses that kind of lays out what we're talking about in First Timothy. So Paul gives the mission. And the message to Timothy, he is giving direction, and we can learn from this and what he is saying. So what is our big idea this week? Our big idea is this. God has given the church a mission and a message. God has given the church a mission and a message. We just don't, we're just not here. We just don't show up because we got nothing better to do, right? We are here because we have a mission, and there is a message that, that goes along with that mission, and we'll see what he, as we go through this today what he says. So we get the opportunity to focus on that today. And diving into this morning, I hope that you will have a clear understanding. If somebody says, well, why do you go to church? Well, I can tell you. Well, here is our purpose and what we do. And I would like you to come if you're, if you're talking to somebody else. So let's break down Paul's instruction to Timothy as we go through this. Now, I want to first of all read just the first two verses. I want to read those together. And then we're going to break them down piece by piece. All right, so here we go. Verses 14 and 15. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, as we go through this, you see, first of all, it says, I hope to come to you soon. So once again, I want to remind you, you see the relationship here, not only Paul's heart towards Timothy, but also his heart towards what? The church. He is hopeful to get there. Now, we know that it's not written in Scripture that he actually made it there. So I'm very thankful, and we are very thankful that God has given us his word to see this instruction to Timothy as he helps correct the church in these areas. Um, he says, these things, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things uh, to you. So what are these things? Well, so that's everything that we just talked about. Everything that's before that are these things. It's the elders, it's the deacons, it's the, it's the order in the church and what is going on, the roles of men and women. So I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Um, the word behave so what does that mean when you think about how to behave? Like, you often think of, like, children. Like, I hope my children behave, right? It's how they, it's how they act in relation to other people. Um, it's really, if you look at the, the text there, it's, it's a person's way of life. It's their whole life and character and who they are. But specifically, it's the relationship with the other people uh, around. Because this is what he meant by household, the household of God. It's people who make up the church. It's the congregation. That is the household. If you think about a house, right? If you want to go to your house, this is my house. But what about the people inside? That's my household, right? That is the people who are in it. 
So what is the first thing that we learn here about the church? We see the church is God's household. The church is God's household. It's not the building. It's the body. It's the body of believers in, um, that come to meet. Ephesians 2, 18 through 20 says this. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Right? There Paul is talking, writing uh, to the church in uh, Ephesus. And what is he saying there? For we are both have access to one spirit in the Father. If you are a Christ follower, you are here, what? In one spirit because of the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. We are here, not as strangers, right? You may not know somebody here, but we're not strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This idea of the, this house of God is what? Built on a foundation. And what is that foundation and who is that foundation? If you talk about a cornerstone, the cornerstone is what the house is built on, right? That is the foundation. And that is Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.10 has the same idea. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due seasons we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He's addressing there how they get along, and that that not only should they do good to everyone, but especially to the people in the household of faith, right? Addressing how they get along. We are a community of believers connected by our relationship with Jesus. Now, if you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, uh, we need to understand that first. Because what happens? We need to understand that because of the fall, that, that we have come into this world as sinners, right? Each and every one of us, not one of us are good. But you see, God made a way for us to be saved through his beautiful and perfect plan because someone had to take the punishment, So what did he do? In his beautiful, beautiful way, he made a plan, and he sent his son who stepped into creation and took that penalty on the cross and took that punishment for our sin, right? But we have to come to him. We have to um, surrender to him, and we get a new heart in that. That is the gospel. So if you're here today, if you understand the gospel and you're a part of that a part of that family, then you are part of the household. And how you get along in the household honors God. Uh, we are starting this morning in youth class a study uh, by Kyle Eidemann. It's called One at a Time, One at a Time. The idea behind this study um, is that Jesus spent time with people as he talked to them one at a time, and that's what his ministry looked like. It was a way to disciple that he talked to them. And this is an opportunity for us as believers and as the youth program to go through this to say, you know, how are you investing in other people and what does that look like? And the idea is to look at people the same way Christ looks at people, right? Because a lot of times we're not thinking about that. We're going about our lives. But to be intentional with people, especially people in our household, we need to develop that relationships. So I would ask you, are you intentionally developing relationships, now, if you are here today, remember, this is a household. Do you come in? Do you sing? Do you sit? Do you learn and do you leave? Like, is that, your, is that what you come and do? Sing, sit, learn, leave, and boo, I'm out of here. 
Or are you meeting people, talking to people, developing those relationships? Because remember, this is a household. This is a household. All right. As he explains further, we will go on to this. So if I delay, you may know which one ought to, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So this household of God, then he goes on to say is what? The church of the living God. So the household of God is the church of the living God. Now this, the living God, is an Old Testament phrase used 14 times again in the New Testament. So this idea of a living God. So I want to read to you 1 Samuel 17, 26, just to give you an idea of one of these passages in the Old Testament. This is from uh, the story of David and Goliath. It says, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of who? The living God. This is a phrase that is used over and over. Living means what? Alive and active. This isn't a a dead false god or idol that we're talking about. It is Yahweh. Now, when we look at this, it says the church of the living God. So what does that show? The word of. It shows ownership. It shows possession of of the church. So what do we see here about the church? We see the church is God's possession. The church is God's possession. The church is God's, and we are his. Such a, a lot of times we skew that, and we don't think of it that way. Once we surrender, right, it's this idea of surrender. That means we are his, because we have surrendered to him. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of who? The living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, Paul here talking to the church in Corinth, right? A lot of problems were going on there, and what is he reminding? He's doing this same thing. He's bringing the Old Testament idea, what, into the New Testament, talking about the living God. And what? We are the temple. We are the temple. And we are his. So 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You know, thinking about it personally this way, that You are owned by God, then you are God's temple. And then we are God's temple as a whole. I read this this week, and I thought this was good. He is the ever-living master of the house. He is the ever-living master of the house. Everything we do here is because of him. That is why we meet. And he is the master of this house. You know, thinking about our homes and our houses, I think back to when I was a kid, right? And I thought, you know, I had my own room. And I'm like, this is my room. I can do whatever I want in this room, and this is mine because it is my room. I'll shut my door. I'll put posters on the wall. I'll decorate it. And my parents better not ever think about coming in here because it's mine. So now I've grown up, and guess what? I'm a parent. So now I look at that a little differently. I'm like, no, that wasn't my room at all. It was my parents' house, and I had temporary occupancy in the house, Right, And I think that sometimes that we think in that same way when it comes to the church. 
right? It is God's church, right? We have temporary occupancy here, but we need to glorify him with his church. He is the master of the house. He is the master of the house. Um, Remember, it is all because of him. The church is God's possession. The church is God's possession. All right, let's go on to the next piece here. Going back to the beginning of 15, I'll read this again. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So once again, here is another piece that he has kind of explained. He's talked about the household of God. That's who we are, which is the church of the living God who owns it. And now comes the mission piece. Now comes the mission piece, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So what does that mean? When you come to Scripture and you're like, okay, I don't, what is a buttress? I don't even know what a buttress is. And when you think about a pillar, now a pillar and a buttress, there are elements that provide support to a structure or a building. Now, at that time, there was the great temple of Diana in Ephesus. Now, this uh, uh, Artemis, so this is a Greek goddess, right, that they would worship in this town. And actually, this temple it was one of the seven wonders of the world because it was so massive in what it was. And it had 127 pillars on it. That's how big it was. Now, those pillars it, were made of marble, and each one was given from, as a gift from a king. So very valuable. And as, as you look, at some were um, uh, studded with jewels, some were overlaid with gold and all this. So when you think about what he is talking about here and how he's talking to the people of Ephesus, they understand what pillars are. They understand the beauty of what a, pi- a pillar is. So he's making that point with them. So if you think about it, the church is to truth as the, the structure, the buttresses and pillars are to a building. Right? The church is the prop or the support of the truth. That is the point that he is trying to make here. So what do we see here about the church? The church upholds the truth. The church upholds the truth. So when you think about the truth, you know, we talk about that all the time. What is the truth? If we're supposed to uphold the truth, and this is our mission, what is the truth? Well, we talk about it, it's encapsulated in the gospel, but specifically, if we want to narrow it down, what is the truth? The truth is Jesus. The truth is Jesus. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? Jesus is the truth. And when we look at the mystery of who Jesus is and the gospel, that's all encapsulated when we say the truth. But specifically, we're talking about Jesus. Now, using the building imagery that Paul uses, uh, Paul talks about this foundation, which is in Jesus. If we go back to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11 says this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, I, uh, master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Remember, he is the foundation. He is the cornerstone, right? And if we are going to uphold the truth, we have to uphold Jesus. Now think about this. The world may change, right? And we see that all the time with media. The the way the, the culture and the world kind of sways back and forth 
Well, we're called to never change, right? We're called to uphold the truth. That is what our job is as the church. That is our purpose and our mission. We must never change. We must stay firm on that foundation. The only church to do this is the one that is rightly ordered. So do you see what Paul's point is here? He's talking about how to rightly order the church and, the, and how to set it straight. And he says the church needs to uphold the truth. You can't sway and you can't go here. You can't go there. There's false doctrine being taught. You can't go that way. No, we need to uphold and stay firm on the truth. And that is Paul's point. Um, this is the mission that we're talking about today that Paul is giving, to uphold the truth. And that is Jesus. And that is Jesus. So we've seen what the church is, we've seen who owns it, and then we've seen the mission here is to uphold the truth in what we do. So then we go on to the next verse, verse 16. After the mission of the church, let's look at the message. So remember, if we want to carry out the mission, we must understand what the message is in that and make sure we're clear on that. So let's go on to verse 16. I want to read the whole thing here. It says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now, we look at this, and we'll just start with the first piece here. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So what is that mystery that he is referring to here? It is the divine scheme embodied in Christ. It is the gospel. This is the glorious mystery. Like when we look at what God did, we can't, why, we can't understand why he would save a sinful people like us in the way that he did. That is a mystery in why he did that. And it is a wonderful mystery. So what do we see here? What do you see about the church? The church proclaims the gospel. The church proclaims the gospel. Now that mystery, when we talk about that mystery, it is, uh, I, I heard it, or I read this this week, it's truth hidden in the Old Testament age, right? Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus who was coming, who was uh, prophesied to be the one. So it's truth hidden in the Old Testament age and revealed in the New Testament, and revealed in the New Testament. Now, we look at godliness. What does that mean? That's the truce of salvation and righteousness in Christ. The truce of salvation and righteousness in Christ. Uh, now, talking about this mystery, I want to go to Colossians. Colossians 1, and 28. Paul says this in this letter. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So there's the mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Once again, coming back to this idea of this mystery, right? And if you do not think of the gospel as a great mystery, I want you to step back. Because maybe you've heard it and you thought, you know, I've grown up with it. You know, I've, I've, you know, eh, I've heard it before. I understand. Uh, no, it is a, a glorious mystery in what God did and how he, and how he carried out his plan. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, 
but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The, na- the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, this idea of this is such an incredible mystery and if you're here today and you understand the gospel, it is one of those things that you are, it, it should blow your mind, right? And it says here that when you understand the gospel, that God has opened your eyes to it. And then once you understand and you surrender, your heart is in, you are a new creation. This mystery is revealed. It is revealed through the spirit, which indwells in us. Now, as we look at this here and as we get to this second, this verse, um, It says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. And then we see a colon. And then there's this afterwards. You see that in your Bible, it's probably the the way that it is framed up. It looks like it is a song or a hymn. Now, this is actually is, is believed to be a hymn of the old church that Paul is referencing here. Now, why would he do that? Why would he reference a hymn? Well, just as we got together and sang today, man, the worship today was so good. Like the songs that we sang today, and maybe I was in tune to it because I knew what I was preaching on, and I was just zoned in on the words that we were singing, right? And we look at that. Uh, we talk about God does great things, right? And that was the first song we sang. And then we talked about uh, death was arrested. And these are truths that we sit here and we worship and we sing together as a group. Now, what Paul is doing is he's reminding him just the way we would say, listen, we sang about this today. And these are the truths that we come back to. This is the message. So that is why it's framed up like this. So this beautiful hymn or um, confession here that we see. So great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then it says, he was manifested in the flesh. So I want to stop there. So So this hymn was given as an example of what? The mysteries. And this is the first great mystery that we are coming to. The first one mentioned is manifested in the flesh. That's Christ came in the flesh. This was Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' incarnation, God in the flesh. So what do we see here about the church? The church proclaims Jesus' incarnation. The The church proclaims Jesus' incarnation. An amazing truth about Jesus It's why we celebrate Christmas. It's why we celebrate the birth of Jesus as a baby. Why? Because it is such a milestone into what happened. It was this incarnation. God came to live with us in the flesh. And that is a mystery. John 1.14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, and the word, capitalized W, word is who? That is Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we often forget about this amazing mystery, that God would step into creation this way. So think about this. God is perfect. God is holy, right? We say he's sovereign. He's in control of all things. And what does he do? Being perfect and holy, he comes to earth in flesh, and steps into a sinful creation on purpose. Like, that is a mystery. That is a mystery. And that is the incarnation. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this. 
Having, have this mind among you. Oh, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, right? There's the incarnation, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the great mystery there is that God came in the flesh. Jesus came. He taught. He lived perfectly, sinlessly. And what? He went and died a criminal's death on a cross? Like, that is a mystery, and the message of the gospel proclaims Jesus' incarnation. In order to take our place, he had to become one of us. He had to. But he was perfect, and he was sinless. He was perfect and sinless. All right, let's go on to the next piece of that. So next piece of this, this hymn that he has put together, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. All right, so I want to take that piece right there. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. Now, what does that mean? So vindicated by the Spirit. Now, when you look at that, it's translated, he's raised from the dead. So he beat death uh, by the Spirit, and that is what it's saying. So it's talking about that he came in the flesh, and then what happened? He was, he was died, buried, and then he was, what, resurrected. So he was vindicated by the Spirit and seen by angels. So what does that mean, that he was seen by angels? The angels witnessed and testified of the resurrection. So we see this is all about his resurrection and what we are uh, looking at. And this is another amazing mystery to us. The church proclaims Jesus' resurrection. The church proclaims Jesus' resurrection. Romans 1, 3 through 5 goes into this as he talks about the resurrection of Christ. And I just want you to stop and think, because we talk about the incarnation, what, that's Christmas, and then we talk about the resurrection, which is what? That is Easter. This is the biggest holiday that we celebrate as Christ followers. Why? Because it is a great mystery in what he did. So Romans 1, 3 through 5, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, if we break down what Paul is saying there, as, as we look into the book of Romans, Romans is so theologically rich in everything that Paul says and then sometimes you have to be like, okay, what did he say there when he went through that? So as he, as he says this, he says, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. What? So that's talking about his, his incarnation, that he came, right? That he was here, but then also he was in the flesh, right? That he was a descendant also from David through Mary. Uh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to what? The spirit of holiness by what? His resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> Jesus took the punishment for sin and, and died on the cross <clears throat> and rose from the dead. He beat death. He was declared to be the Son of God. Why? By his resurrection. By his resurrection. Because he beat death. So the church proclaims Jesus' resurrection. 
All right, so let's look at the next part of the message revealed in this hymn from Paul as we, as we move on. So he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. So he came in the flesh, and then what? He was resurrected, witnessed by angels. He proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And taken up in glory. So first it says proclaimed among the nations, right? This is the idea that the gospel was spread by evangelism, right? That there was a proclamation, and we see that in the book of Acts, that thousands of people were saved once they heard the gospel, once it was preached, that thousands were saved. So it was proclaimed among the nations. And then what happened? It produced faith from believers. The response of that proclamation was what? The faith of the believers, now, it ends there, it's taken up in glory, refers to what? That's this wonderful mystery, this Jesus ascension. It is his ascension. So what do we see here about the church? The church proclaims Jesus' ascension. The church proclaims Jesus' ascension. So what is that when we talk about the ascension? Well, that is when Jesus, after he, was, he, was, uh, after he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then what? He went to be with the Father. So in Acts 1, 9 through 11, let's read that and see what it says. It says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now, when we read this, like, that's just proof of the mystery because you see the reaction of the, of the men there, right, uh, as they are what? Because that would have been the same way. If, if I was standing there and all of a sudden Jesus was lifted up, I would be like, you know, it would be like, and all of a sudden you look and, these, and there's two men in white robes going, why are you staring up there? And you're like, well, did, did you see? Like, did you see what just happened? Like, that is an amazing mystery of what happened. But to see the, the Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That is the amazing hope. Like, it is not over. It is not over. 1 Peter 3.22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of... Well, it's not a question. Who has gone into heaven, talking about Jesus, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him? There, Peter is reverencing Jesus and saying where he is going and where he has gone. So he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, right? He's with the angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him, right? He is the one in power. Jesus also gives wonderful comfort and hope in uh, the Gospel of John. It says this, John 14, 1 through 3. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. He was comforting the disciples at this point. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now, I look at that scripture, and that is a wonderful comfort when we look at that. That it's not... You look at it, and it's like Jesus didn't leave and leave us high and dry. Jesus not only, he left us, first of all, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came in and dwells in us, but then he also gives this beautiful promise that he is coming back, and he's preparing a place. That should be a mystery to you. That should be a wonderful mystery. So the church proclaims Jesus' ascension. 
his ascension. So this, this hymn shows the magnificent mystery of what? Of godliness, as we looked at. It is the life, work, and godliness of Jesus. It is our hope. That is our message. That is our message. He came in the flesh. He died on the cross, was resurrected. He beat death, and he ascended. And the gospel is proclaimed among the nations. And that is happening today. And that is happening today. So as we have looked at the mission and message given uh, from Paul, we have seen, what have we seen here? We see, first of all, the mission. The church is God's household, right? I want you to remember, we are a family. We are a family. If you are here today and you're a Christ follower, it's not just a building. There's a relationship here and a family. The church is God's possession, right? He owns it. It is his. We may think sometimes, oh, no, we built this, this, this church, this building. This is great. Look how great we are. No. Everything we have, everything we do, every reason that we are here is because of God. It is his possession. The church upholds the truth. That is the mission. That is what we are to do. We are to stand firm on the foundation of who Jesus is, and we are to uphold the truth. That is what we are to do. As we teach on Sunday mornings, as we preach from the pulpit, as we teach in life groups and all this, we are, what, upholding the truth. That is our mission of who Jesus is and sharing the gospel. So what is the message? The message, the church proclaims the gospel. The church proclaims Jesus' incarnation. He had to come. The church proclaims Jesus' resurrection. He beat death. And the church proclaims Jesus' ascension, and there is hope in that. He is coming back, and he is coming back. So what is our next step today that I want to leave you guys with? Our next step is this. Join the mission and proclaim the message. Join the mission and proclaim the message. Like, that is our purpose, and that's what we're here to do. And I want you to really step into that and think about that. Because if you're coming here, think about me when I go into my basement, and I'm like, all right, so I came down here, and why am I here? Like, there's a cupboard, and I don't know what I'm supposed to get. What is my mission? I want you to think, what is the mission, and what is the message? Why do we come here, right? We come here as a, a group of believers with a mission and a message. But you have to join the mission and proclaim the message. So if we can now clearly understand the mission and message, we need to join it, right? We need to understand and surrender to Jesus, and if you are here today and you have not made that, that decision to follow Jesus, I would highly encourage you to talk to somebody. You know, I believe that there's no accidents. And if you are here today and you have heard as we've talked about the gospel, who Jesus is, right? We're upholding the truth this morning. That is what we are doing. And if you're here today and you want to know more, I would be happy to talk to you after the service about that and what that looks like. So as the church, we need to what? To proclaim the message and share the gospel Proclaim among the nations. That is what we are to do. Our corporate gathering should focus on the mission and the message, right? Think about that. Are we always focusing on the mission and the message? Hopefully every single week as you come, we focus on the gospel and who Jesus is and what he did and, what, and how we respond to that. That is our goal, and that's what we want to share with you. So our corporate gathering should focus on that. And remember, that is what Paul is giving the instructions to Timothy for order in the service. Like, this is your mission, and this is what you're supposed to be doing. 
I want to leave you with uh, some verses here from Colossians. Colossians 1, 21 to 22. And this should be a reminder to you. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil in de- and doing evil deeds. So let me just stop there. Each one of us should never become self-righteous in our attitude and our thinking. Each one of us here started in what? We were once alienated and we were once hostile in mind, each and every one of us, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He died so we could live. Wow, that is the mystery that you hold on to. He died so that we can live, and that is where our hope is. Remember, to join the mission to uphold the truth. That is our goal here, and I want everybody to be a part of that, to uphold the truth of doctrine and proclaim the good news of Jesus. That is the glorious mystery. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we are just so thankful you have um, given us this text, your word, Father, that we could study and go through. And we see through Paul's words that he has put down in his instruction to Timothy, a mission and a message. Father, there is a mystery. There is a glorious mystery in your plan and your purpose. And Father, as a church body, as a group of believers, as your household, we understand that you own, you own this church. Father, we are here because of you. Father, so we want to be obedient. We want to be faithful in all that we do to glorify you. So, Father, we are so thankful for this time together today. I just pray if there's anybody here who has not made a decision, has not surrendered their life, Father, that you will just draw them close to you, that they will have a clear understanding as we, as we saw in the, in the text and in Scripture today that you will open their eyes. And, Father, that they will have an understanding of your plan and their purpose. So, Father, I just pray that you continue to work in our hearts, continue to sanctify us, continue to help us to love each other well as a church body, and help us to glorify you in all that we do. We just pray that you are pleased with us in our meeting. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.